Good morning. The scripture today is from Psalm chapter 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Hello? Am I? I'm here! I thought I was invisible for a while. How about you? Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's going to sound like a science lesson when I start out, but believe me, I don't know science. I just looked all of this up. So, you might remember from science in high school, or maybe it was even history, that many centuries ago, people thought that the earth was the center of the universe. Do you remember learning that? Earth, center of the universe. Everything else revolved around it. And when and that was upheld by everyone. Everyone. Your man, your man and your woman in the street, the clergy, but especially the church. The church with the big C. They upheld that for a long time. And then along came people like Copernicus and Galileo and a man by the name of Kepler. And they changed everything by saying that the earth was really not the center of the universe, but the sun caused huge amount of problems, huge amount of problems. We were no longer geocentric, but now we were going to be what they call heliocentric. Um, And it shifted things. This change was revolutionary for people. It really was. Astronomy just blew their minds. They did not understand it. It was a paradigm shift. Now, that little phrase has been used for about 20, actually 30 years actively in business and education, academics. 
That's when I learned it was about 30 years ago. But a paradigm shift is a distinct set of ideas and practices that define a society or a business um, or a science at any particular time. Um, a paradigm is. The paradigm shift is when it changes, when that what is established collapses. And a new understanding takes its place. So the paradigm was that we were earth-centered, and then we became sun-centered as it appeared to the universe. And that was a shift in thinking. So it was a major transition in our human understanding. But we've been through those throughout the centuries, many different times. For instance, if you think about geology and what we now know about plate tectonics, and how the continents have moved and the earthquakes that we have and the volcanoes all has to all works together. It's, uh, it turned our understanding of the earth, how it's formed and how it maintains what it is upside down completely. Or there's the Big Bang Theory. Some people still dispute that and go, no, 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 no. Earth was made in seven days and I, that's what I want to accept. Or you might think about Einstein's theory of relativity and how he knocked Newtonian physics off the board with his theories. But then it was supplemented by something called quantum physics. We just keep adding to our knowledge. Think about germs and medicine. Goodness, once we had this notion that there were miasmas, foul odors. People would keep their, their windows shut. I happen to think it was the manure in the streets, but that's a whole other issue. They also talked about the imbalance of our bodily humors, um, yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood, and that those, when they were imbalanced, created illness, hence why we had so many people bloodletting to balance them out, usually killed them, you know. Um, it balanced them right to death. All of these discoveries, though, that have changed our world, changed it. Each one of you are here today because I would, I'm making an assumption here. I'm sure many of you are vaccinated. That was huge this year, wasn't it? A huge shift. So, that shift goes further, though. During the pandemic, when we suddenly found ourselves working from home, going to school on a computer, watching our worship services on the television, online, there was no more business travel. Office spaces were empty. And they still are. Some things have changed and may never return to what they were never fully returned to what they were before we experienced the pandemic. Because what we discovered in this last year is our life isn't just what it is right here in Zachary. It is global. That is a huge shift. We've been making it for years, but now we know the reality that a disease that starts in Africa or China or Great Britain, wherever it may start, can come right here to Zachary. It happened this past year, hence pandemic. Now, when a long-accepted explanation of our world breaks down or is shown to be flawed, 
What emotion, what emotion helps us to have it revealed and then to act? What emotion? Well, according to Helen DeCruz, a professor of philosophy and humanities at St. Louis University in Missouri, the emotion is awe, A-W-E, awe. Not the little basket of kitties. Oh, I'm say I'm thinking Grand Canyon. Oh, wow. Oh, when we see it for the first time, I had such an experience, and I apologize. A lot of my experiences from the last 30 years of my life were in Colorado or the West, but I had one such experience standing in Montana. Um, on a hike that I had taken up into the mountains and looking down into what they call Hidden Lake. And at Hidden Lake, I saw a grizzly, looked to be about 20 feet tall, of course, but I know it wasn't that tall. It was huge. And they were hungry. They had come out. And they were hitting Hidden Lake this This particular grizzly and a couple others were reaching down with their gigantic paw and hitting the lake. Boom. And when they did, a trout would pop up and they'd catch it and eat it right there on the shoreline. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is awe. It was amazing. So a moment of awe in our lives helps our tolerance to deal with uncertainty. It opens us up. We become receptive to something new, unusual. And it's critical for the paradigm shift, for us to see what God wants us to see. Awe is also spiritual and emotional. Dr. Cruz cites the works of others who maintain that in all clear cases of awe, they all have two components. One is a mental accommodation for vastness, and the other is the experiencing that vastness. So De Cruz says awe is a transcendent emotion. Because it focuses ourselves, uh, our attention away from ourselves and toward the environment around us. She goes on to describe awe along with curiosity and wonder um, relate to the search of knowledge. So, you might be asking yourself, why then should we care about awe at all? What does that have to do with me, Pastor Jane? Well, God uses various gateways to come into our lives. A sense of awe is one of those gateways. Because it's an instinct to realize that something spiritual is going on when we experience awe. It opens us up to possibilities we hadn't imagined before. Gives us new thoughts. Opens new paths of thinking and relating, and it enables us to get a sense of God. Awe says to us, boy, this is beyond life as I have understood it. 
This is something else. Something else. So, and this brings me to Psalm 29 and some of the wonderful music that we sang today. All of it really expressing awe of God's almighty power and glory. I want you to think about the man who wrote many of the Psalms, David. At least they're attributed, many of them, to him. And this is one of them. If you know anything about King David, it was that he was pretty much a reprobate before he actually became king. We like to paint him with nice colors and make him a, you know, a pretty king uh, and uh, a kind gentleman and so forth. But man, he was a tough guy. You see, King Saul liked him at first because David would play his lyre and sing to him to keep him calm. But King Saul was a mess. He was crazy, man. And so at one point, he decides that David is trying to get his throne. And he kicks David out, tries to kill him. And David is able to run away. And during that time, he has his own band of followers that end up traveling with him. And he becomes basically a soldier for hire. Did you know that? So read 1 Samuel very closely and you'll see this fascinating story. Anyway, so there's David running all over the place and he is never harmed and is always able to stay ahead of Saul. It's in that time, I believe, and in those days spent out with the sheep and walking out to his brothers and doing the things he had to do for his father before he joined Saul's household that he discovered the mighty power of God. And he wrote here in verse, in verses, uh, the, uh, I think it's verse 4. Oh, it's the 11th verse, excuse me. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Here is a man who has seen God at work in the world. His eyes and his heart and mind have been opened by awe of being out there in the world and knowing God very intimately. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel was one of the leading um, theologians for the Jew, Jewish people in the 20th century, insisted that awe is critical for not taking the world for granted. Hmm. We do that, don't we? We take the world for granted every day. And thus losing the ability to experience it with any depth or reverence in our lives become small but more so we become fearful we become afraid when we lose our sense of awe think about that when we don't realize god really is in charge when we we are taking that power back to ourselves and when it's just us folks we become afraid awe is not only a pathway to knowledge but it is a pathway to wisdom and to God. Now, if you're a practical person, and I tend to be pretty practical on most days, you might say, well, fine, all's a great thing, but what am I going to do with that? How's that going to be part of my life this week? How do you expect me to function? Because we live in an age when we're not awed by very much. We have the Internet, after all. We can find out anything we want. 
in just two seconds. We have lost our ability to marvel at what God has provided. So, are we supposed to just go out there and drum up some awe for ourselves? One more thing to feel guilty about, moms, that you didn't get done? Manufacture awe on demand? No, no, we do not have to do that. Awe still happens, and it happens unexpectedly. And we will learn to recognize it and seek to discover what it's telling us when it happens. A Presbyterian theologian who I'm very familiar with, and you've probably heard from often, Frederick Beekner, illustrates this by talking about being in a forest of redwoods, giant redwoods. And in that forest, he was standing there looking up into the trees when a busload of children arrived. And they were yelling and playing and shoving one each other when they got off the bus. And as they came into the forest where he was, giggling and laughing, suddenly they became silent. They quieted down all by themselves. Their teachers and others, adults with them, were quiet as well. He says, you could not hear a sound of any kind. It was like coming into a vast, empty room. In effect, Beekner was describing a paradigm shift. They were experiencing awe. He said that there those redwoods stood two, three hundred feet high in the air. And they made you realize that all your life you were mistaken. The oaks and the ashes and the pine trees, the maples and the chestnuts and elms that you had seen for so long and experienced as trees were nothing until this moment. You really had not known what a tree really was. Now, the kids themselves probably didn't have all of that going on in their minds. But what they felt was awe. The emotion was there, and it struck them quiet. And it would not be surprising for me to find out if it was possible that years later, some of those kids awakened to thinking about God, maybe even led to a call in ministry. Or a career in ecology, or becoming a forest ranger, a park ranger, or just simply fell in love with the outdoors and determined there and then that the rest of their lives they were always going to do something outdoors. Awe can set a direction for our lives and can even move a person toward God. So we say that something spiritual is going on when we feel awe. Whether we recognize it as such or not, we are believers. And there is a paradigm shift, too, from the world is all about me. You know people like that. The world is all about me to the world is larger than me to this is God's world. Those are stages and human development. And that is huge. And those shifts happen through awe. 
Abraham Lincoln apparently had this experience. He's quoted as saying, I never behold the heavens filled with stars that I do not feel I am looking at the face of God. I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could lie looking up into the heavens and say, there is no God. Now, I know that's not everybody's experience. We should not expect everyone to find God through the same means. Certainly, I don't. Let me tell you about a camping trip I took a long time ago. Back in 1991, I was taking some youth camping up in the Colorado Rockies. We were near Estes Park. It was parkland, um, national forest area. And we'd gone to this nice meadowy area and set up our tent. And that night we built a nice campfire and we lay around it with our sleeping bags and we watched the stars. Why? It was August and the Pleiades were happening. That means the whole night was filled with shooting stars right over our heads. That was awesome. That was awesome. Now, I'm not telling all of you you have to go to Colorado. Oh, well, they can if you would like to. Uh, That was me. That was my experience. But each of us is unique and will have a different means of discovering awe in your midst. God uses various gateways that come into our lives, and awe is just one gateway. Some experience that gives us a sense of God's power and might and glory. It may be the thunder of the ocean when you're at the beach. It could be... It could be poetry or perhaps standing here singing a song. Or maybe it's the smoke when you burn leaves in the autumn crisp air. Or the birth of a child. Read Psalm 139 when you go home today. I think that is an experience of awe that was written. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Awe says there's something beyond life as we have known. And a sense of law, awe, is where religion starts. Awe is a, an accommodation for the vastness of this world. Several years ago, a group of teens went on a backpacking trip to the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. By mid-morning, they were getting uh, up toward the peak of a hill. And after that long hike, they stopped at one of the lean-tos that are on the Appalachian Trail. And they looked out around the surrounding mountains. And one of the youth leaders went in and found this little journal that was there for people to write in when they got to that point. And as they looked through, they saw that the last entry was from a recent hiker who also quoted Psalms, Psalm 19. They had written by heart, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. There is no speech, nor mere words their voice has not heard, yet their voice goes throughout all the earth. I'll let you read the rest. That youth leader read those verses, and 201, every single one of the youth that was with them agreed that the majestic view did make them think about God. So de Cruz writes from a philosophical point of view, and 
there, she's honest about saying awe is not required for the day-to-day workings, but it is required for science, for new discoveries. It's also crucial to help us consider paradigm change. Awe may be our only path to knowledge and wisdom, and I would add, path to God. When we are awestruck, it's a good idea to consider what God is trying to say to us, whispering, as it were, through that emotion that we are feeling. And be aware that there is a paradigm shift or a change that may be coming. God bless you all, and may you have an awesome, awesome day. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, you are an amazing God. You have created this wonder of around us. And we might question how does science and faith come together, but they do so beautifully because you have gifted us with so many little hints of your presence all around us. Thank you, O Lord. And may as we go into this week, we carry a sense of your awesomeness around with us so that we may hear you when you speak. Amen.